Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. She's known to the world as the Barefoot Contessa. I love to do something really special to make it taste great. Ina Garten has been a staple on the Food Network for two decades, bringing easy-to-make meals into millions of homes. There are all kinds of theories about how to stop crying when you're peeling onions. I haven't found a good one yet. Her admirers say part of her appeal is that her cooking tips feel like advice from a big sister. I'd say we have a nice dessert for the party. But life hasn't always been a dinner party. Ina spent her early career in Washington, crunching numbers instead of nuts. I used to dream of a job where all I had to do was cook all day long. She's not only realized that dream, Ina has far surpassed it. Just drizzle it on. And now she's cooked up a new project. She hopes will continue to delight her fans. That's just perfect. We have two things in common. Do I get a hint? I find cooking really hard. I find it really stressful. Do you feel your life is in danger? And the love of my mother is what brought me here. What was the worst investment? Oh, there's a long list of really bad ones. Ina Garten, welcome. It is so great to sit down with you again. I always love to see you. Thank you. Let's start with your 13th and latest cookbook, Go To Dinners. And I have a question. What does that mean, go-to? <laughs> go-to means there are dinners that you've made and you just go, I want to make that over and over and over again. It's like you've got like a list of things that you know are going to work and they're going to be like crowd pleasers and everybody's going to love them. That's what a go-to dinner is. And, and is it that it's easy or just that you know it's going to be... It could be anything. It could be something that you think is so delicious you can't believe it or it's so easy to make and that nobody knows how easy it is. It could be whatever it does, it appeals to you. And um, I just think there are certain things, even I, after 13 books, I mean, how many recipes have I written? A thousand recipes in those books. And there are certain recipes I go to all the time, like an apple tart and back to basics. And um, just there are things that you just roast chicken. You just, they're go-to recipes. Did your philosophy of cooking and entertaining change during the pandemic? It did, actually, and that's one of the things that's important in this book, is that I came to the conclusion after having, you know, I was working on writing a cookbook, so I'm testing recipes for that. I was helping people on Instagram try and figure out what to do with those white beans that they had in their pantry and they'd bought but didn't know what to do with it. So I was making recipes for Instagram. And then I realized I had to make dinner for Jeffrey and me, too, lunch and dinner. And and I I thought, this is crazy. It's just exhausting, and I'm going to have to simplify it. And what I realized is every once in a while I'd make like an omelet and, you know, a grilled piece of bread and we'd have fruit for dessert. And it was just so simple and satisfying. So there's a whole section in this book on breakfast for dinner. And then there's like lunch for dinner. There, you know, soups, like really um, hearty soups that make you, you know, like white bean soup. Um, and, and, and I gather you've become a little bit less... I'm trying to think of the right <laughs> adjective here. Without insulting uh, me, stri- you mean? No, 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 a little bit less strict about the idea about homemade versus store-bought. 
you know, I, one of the things that's happened is that um, there are some ingredients in the market. Like, I don't understand why anybody would want to make vanilla ice cream. There's perfectly good vanilla Nobody ice cream. Nobody wants to make vanilla ice cream. Exactly. People, <laughs> people still do, but I don't. And, and there are great baguettes. There's great bread in the marketplace that didn't have, you know, 25 years ago. So I just, I like to concentrate on the stuff that you can't get, that, that like a good roast chicken. Um, you, you can't buy good roast chicken in the market. If it comes out of the oven, it makes the house smell good. It's a whole different experience. So those are the things I like to concentrate on. But I like to use things that are like for um, one of the things I've been doing is a um, instead of stuffing um, a chicken or a turkey or whatever you might want to stuff, um, I make a bread pudding. So I make um, instead of cutting up the bread and and toasting it so that it absorbs the pudding mix, um, I just I buy Pepperidge Farm stuffing mix. Oh my God. And, <laughs> and I put it in there with mushrooms and Gruyere. And I have to tell you, nobody knows that the stuffing mix is in there, but it's so much easier. And so why not? Uh, one of the things that you <laughs> advocated during the lockdowns was drinking. Here is <laughs> Me? A, yeah, here's a look. Two cups of vodka, good vodka. You have to shake it for 30 seconds. You have lots of time, it's not a problem. <laughs> Stay safe, have a very good time, and don't forget the cocktails. Mmm. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> that video of your you and your giant cosmopolitan. And don't, don't miss the hair. That was COVID hair, too. <laughs> that has, nobody has noticed the hair. They're looking at the drink. Uh, has was viewed more than three million Seriously? times. Seriously? Yeah. That's a riot. And it was just a lark. It was actually April Fool's Day. It was April 1st of um, 2020. And I just thought, I want to do something funny for April Fool's. And I thought, well, I'm going to make a funny cocktail. And then I thought, it's like two weeks into the pandemic. People are panicked. Nobody wants a joke. So I thought, well, I'll just make a cocktail anyway. And I had enough ingredients to make one large Cosmo. And I started pouring stuff in. I set up the camera. I was by myself, poured the stuff in, you know, everything together. And I poured it into this into the co biggest cocktail shaker I had and poured it. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I think I did it. <laughs> so I sent it to a friend of mine who's a film producer, very famous film producer. And I said, is this OK? He was like, post it now. So I did. And I thought, I thought a few people would think it was fun. Little did I know. Three million. <laughs> I think it's going to be in my obituary. There's going to be a little video of that. <laughs> let's, let's talk about your food empire. You have sold more than seven million copies. We have like 14 million in print. I, I stand corrected. You've it's had okay. your show in the Food Network for 20 years. How would you describe how you have built your brand over these last two decades? You know, one of the things I, I do, I don't have a grand plan. I really just do what I love to do. I get up in the morning, I think, what do I feel like doing today? And I think, I feel like testing recipes. And so that's what I do. And in the middle, I do a little TV because I think it's important for people to know how to do something. I mean, it's one thing to read a recipe on a page, but it's another thing to see somebody but, actually but do you, it. Are you really saying, because I think you're somewhat underselling yourself, are you really saying that all of this just happened? There must at various points have been some thought about... I would say every 20 years, I get incredibly bored and I just go, okay, I have to change all of this. If I wake up in the morning and I'm not a little scared about what's, how this is going to work out, I, I'm not happy. So in that sense, I don't have a grand plan, but every 20 years, I rethink what I'm doing so that I feel like I'm totally invested and totally committed to something that's a little scary.
Well, but we're still okay. So let's go back. Mid seventies. You're in yeah. Washington D.C. working in the Ford and then the Carter administration, and you're writing budgets for the government's nuclear energy programs. <laughs> One, how did that come about? And two, how was that for you? Um, I started in. Um, I mean, I worked at the Federal Power Commission and worked my three, th- worked through a few um, jobs and ended up a year and a half later in the White House Legislative Office. So we would write do a write-up of whatever legislation came to the White House so the president would know whether to sign it or not sign it. I mean, I don't know how I just figured out how to do it. But of all the legislation that we did, I was really interested in science. And so I got very close to the people who were doing science and technology. And they had an opening for somebody in the nuclear energy area. They were doing wind, solar. They were doing all kinds of energy um, things. At the end of well, it wasn't 20 years, but at the end of that period, you suddenly get bored with it. And now we get to 1978, where you, and I, you know, I find this story really remarkable. I know it's out there. You see an ad, a small ad in a newspaper. A terrible ad. <laughs> for for a, a food store yeah. in the Hamptons. And remember, it was 1978. There weren't many specialty food stores. Right. I mean, women were starting to go back to work. They were starting to, you know, they had kids, they had families, they had work, um, they had, you know, they had lives. And they were all of a sudden wanted to go buy dinner at especially food store so they could feed their family. Okay. So the store in the Hamptons is called yeah. the Barefoot Contessa. You decide to flip careers. You and Jeffrey, your husband, who we'll get to in a little bit later, uh, decide to buy it. And I guess the question I still have is, what were you thinking? I have no idea. <laughs> I thought it would be fun. I mean, I, I, I remember coming into this small town, West Hampton Beach, and it's literally one block long. And there was this little specialty food store. It was like the size of this table. And they were baking chocolate chip cookies. And I thought, nuclear energy budgets, chocolate chip cookies. I'd rather do that. <laughs> literally, it was that thoughtful. And um, I made the woman a very low offer thinking, well, she'll come back, we'll negotiate, I'll have time to think about it. And she called me the next day in my office and said, thank you very much, I'll accept your offer. And I went, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, we're on cable, so you can say that. (laughs) I actually have to do this. So it grows into such a successful business that you end up being featured on the Martha Stewart show. Take a look. Oh, I watch how people shop. I watch what people are looking for. And very quickly I realized that coming into a food store was really like coming home to mom. You wanted to be made feel really comfortable. You wanted to be welcomed. So everything I do in the store is designed for making you feel that way. So then in 1999, you write your first cookbook, The Barefoot Contessa. I mean, for someone who is you're not a professional cook. You not haven't had all. any real training. Yeah. What, what did you I, think well, as to where you were? <laughs> I, I wanted to do something other than the store. I sold the store to my employees. I built myself an office. I had nothing to do. And literally at the end of the year, I was just like, I have to think of something to do while I figure out what to do. And everybody had asked me to write a cookbook. And I thought, oh, it's not interesting. I, I don't know why I want to do it, but at least I'll have something to do tomorrow. And so I wrote a proposal, sent it to the top editor at the top cookbook publisher, thinking I'll never hear from them. And a week later, I had a contract to write a book. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of jump off a cliff and figure it out. And once I had the contract, I said to myself, okay, if you're going to do it, do it like it's a new business and do it in a way that would be successful. If you're going to do it, do it as well as you can. And what does that mean? Everybody said that um, publishers don't hire 
don't publicize um, new cookbooks, so I hired my own publicist. Um, it means that I didn't want the publisher to tell me what the book would look like. I hired my own photographer. Um, I didn't want the publisher to tell me what the food should look like, so I hired my own food stylist. So I basically financed this like it was a new business. I invested in it, and I had total control over it. And I, I think looking back now, I was right, because publishers tend to want to write the book that was successful last year. And that's exactly the book I didn't want to write. It ends up becoming so successful, it's a bestseller, and the Food Network comes after you to start no. your own show. And for a good period of time, you say no. I say, I say lose my number. <laughs> I just, I didn't think that anybody would want to watch me on TV. I didn't know what they saw. And um, Why and didn't it, you think? I don't know. I just couldn't. I've, I'd never done TV, and I just didn't, couldn't imagine that, um, I mean, it was the era of Nigella was on, Nigella Lawson was on TV and she was so sexy and, you know, the spaghetti and, you know, it's just, I just thought that's not who I am. Um, but they just, they were very persistent and they found a producer whose work I liked and they called and said, I hired, we hired them, they're coming to your house in, in two weeks. And I was like, whoa, I didn't say I was going to do it. And they said, just do a few shows and see how it goes. Okay. So in 2002, you start your show and Given yeah. <laughs> what, that you've got a brand to sell, it's called the Barefoot Contessa. Mm -hmm. And we have a clip from your very first episode. You do? Yeah, wow. and here it is. And this is, just looks wonderful. It's all the yogurt and the olive oil and fresh rosemary, lemon zest, salt and pepper. And now the last thing, I'm going to put the lamb in. This is the really gooey, messy part. The cook's best tools are clean hands. And that's what I'm using. So you take all the lamb and you put it right into this marinade and you schmutz it around. Ugh. So, oh, it's good and messy. You know, that's a technical term, schmutz. Schmutz. Yes. So, so <laughs> it's a how, cooking term. How would you rate yourself as a TV professional cook or a TV <laughs> cook at, back I then? I remember when I saw that first show. And we were still filming. They sent the film back to London because the producer was from London. And they, sent, and they showed it to me. And I said, it's actually not as bad as I'd feared. I mean, it was like, it was okay, which shocked me. And, I was going to say, for a first show, you are unbelievably so, no. natural. Thank you. Right? And I said to my director, just think when I get good at this, it'll be much better. And she said, not necessarily. She said... Um, it's that kind of anxiety, that, that fear that really fuels the, the energy that you really show up. And she was right. She was absolutely right. And here I am 20 years later. It's still terrifying. It terrifies me. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. 
Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Over the years, you and the show have grown, and we want to show the new, improved, professional <laughs> Anna Garten. Here you are doing your engagement chicken, which you call because a lot of couples have gotten married over this meal. <laughs> Salt and pepper on top. I want this to be the best chicken ever. Now, who wouldn't want to marry you if you made them this? Perfect roast chicken. I got to say, that is mouth-watering. Oh. That was just sensational. <laughs> so let's, I love talking to people about their process. What is your process in creating a recipe? How painstaking is it? Um, I start out with, I have a list of maybe 75 recipes that I'm always working on. Um, so I get up in the morning, I look at that list and I go, lentil salad sounds really good today. So I'm going to make lentil salad. And I have a flavor and a texture in my head that I'm kind of working towards. And then I might read what other people say about lentil salad. And then I put away the books and I just start making lentil salad. And for, that's a, actually a good example because there's a very um, elusive flavor in lentil salad that I couldn't figure out what it was. And eventually I went to France. A friend said to me, oh, what people do, what French women do is put a turnip in the, in the, um, when they're cooking the lentils and then they throw the turnip away. So it's that kind of elusive turnip flavor that gives it the depth, the depth of flavor that I was looking for. Well, how did you know that's what you Because were- I've tasted lentil salad in France. And I knew that there was a flavor in there that I was, that I was missing when I was cooking. And I, I wasn't happy until I got there. There's like this little ping that goes in my head when I, when I just go, okay, that's what I was looking for. It's flavor, it's texture, it's a seasoning. It's all of those things that are layered. And actually, the other thing that happens is I think it's very important to have um, an acid edge. When, when, I'm, when I'm working on, this was um, actually for lentil soup. Um, I made a big pot of lentil soup and my assistant said, oh, best lentil soup I've ever tasted. And I'm like, something missing, and I can't figure out what it was. I went to the refrigerator, and I looked at everything in the fridge, and I thought, red wine vinegar. And I put like a tablespoon in a huge pot, and I said, now taste it. And she was like, I get it. Um, it and until it's exactly what, I'm look, what I have in my head, I think I must have a good flavor memory. And I can remember what something tastes, tasted like when I was a kid and, and now. And I'm not happy until it's exactly what I'm looking for. And, and then once you create it, you've mm-hmm. got to be sure that the recipe is duplicatable, right? That people can use it. Right. So, so, I, so how does that, what so happens there? I have two people who work for me. One's a better cook than the other. And I give them both separately, different days, a piece of paper. Because everybody gets a book with a piece of paper in it right. that says, cook this. Right. Um, and I watch them cook it. And they, they go, well, did you want the carrots cut straight across or diagonally? I think, oh, I forgot to write that. So we may make that recipe 10, 20 times um, between what I've done and what my assistants have done because I want to know how somebody's going to use it. It's not that it worked for me. I want to make sure it works for you. We have a video of one of what I would call your white whales. And we're going to run it here. <laughs> Boston, Boston cream pie. <laughs> and I was told that it would, took you six Years to perfect years. <laughs> I mean, not constantly. Well, no, I, would, I assume I would, <laughs> you took, you took I Sundays did other off. things. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just 
it was very, it's a very simple cake. It's a white cake with um, cream filling and chocolate. But for me, the cake has to taste great, the filling has to taste great, and the chocolate has to get, taste great. That's just the beginning of it. Then I want to make sure that you can taste all those flavors. Do they go together? So the first time I made all three components and put them together, the chocolate was too strong. You couldn't taste the cake or the filling. So that's what I was always working on. And the last um, permutation of it was, I was being interviewed by Christina Tozzi from Milk Bar. And, I, and she said, are you, are you having trouble with any recipes? And I said, yes, I'm having trouble with Boston cream pie. The cake doesn't have enough flavor. And she said to me, have you ever tried a soak, which is sugar and syrup, that are, sugar and water that are cooked together um, so it becomes a syrup? And I thought, oh, I'm going I'm to use orange juice and Grand Marnier in that soak. And that was it. So the cake had enough flavor to stand up to the cream and the chocolate. Your fans <laughs> know that we have left out a big part of the story. You referred to it briefly before. When you're 15 years old, you go to visit your brother at Dartmouth College, <laughs> and a fellow student there named Jeffrey Garten spots you. How quickly did the two of you become an item? He was in the library with his roommate, and he said, oh, look at that girl. Remember, I'm the only girl walking around the Dartmouth campus in October. And, um, yeah, and his it, was, it was uh, all, boy, all men all, at all that men point. Yeah. And it was his roommate from our tennis club, and my brother had fixed me up on a date with him. So he said, oh, I know who that is. That's Ina Rosenberg. And Jeffrey said, really? <laughs> so after the date, he said to um, his roommate. So can I, are you interested in her or can I call? He goes, no, she's an old friend. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going out on a date with her. And, uh, and Jeffrey wrote to me. Remember those days when people wrote letters? Uh, he wrote to me. before he's actually met you? No, I never met him. So he what, he, saw me, he's writing saw me to you before, before he's met you. To, to say, can I come to Connecticut and take you out? And literally showed up six months later. I mean, I didn't, he remembered for six months that he'd, he'd seen me on campus, which is amazing. And he took me out. We had a disastrous first date. I thought, I'll never see him again. And he dropped me off and he asked me to come to Dartmouth, which, of course, my father would never let me do. But he kept coming, coming around, which he is just so wouldn't nice. Take no for an answer. No. So, so, <laughs> so you know what you were? You were his Boston cream pie. <laughs> <laughs> it was about the same amount of time, six years. <laughs> so you and Jeffrey have been married now for 54 years. Mm. And he has become... I mean, he's a very distinguished fellow. He's an yeah. economics professor. He was the dean of the business school at Yale. He's also become a character on your show. <laughs> and we have some clips. Oh, yeah. Are you saving these for anybody? No, for you. For me? <laughs> Who do you think can I'm I, saving them for? Can I take a bite at just, just test it? <laughs> just make sure it's okay. I would really appreciate mm. it. <laughs> the best thing I've ever eaten. Mm. Boy, that's good. <laughs> this is the best fried chicken you that, ever had? Next to the one you make, yeah. That's the right answer. Are we getting in that too? Yeah, let's get in let's there. Let's have dessert in there. You want it? Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm coming in with brownie pudding. Give me that pudding. <laughs> so as you head into that tent on the, on, on the property, uh, uh, your home in East Hampton, is the, is the love story still going strong a half century later? Yeah. He's just, he's extraordinary. He's really extraordinary. And, I, you know, he just makes me feel like I'm the only thing in the world that, that he cares about, which is wonderful. And I feel the same way about him. <laughs> that is, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty great. Anyone who's as beloved and popular and successful as you are is going to have critics. And one of the things that critics say, she's stealing herself here, <laughs> is that 
your food is too heavy. You, I'm sure you've heard that, <laughs> that it's, it's got too much meat in it, too much dairy products, too high fat. And I think the say, AMA rates me at a, at a D, D, D minus or something. True? I don't know, something like that. Okay. But you know what? My food is real. And I think if you cook and, um, and serve real food, I think, I think you're better. You're better off. I think it's healthier. So everybody chooses how to, what, what they like to eat, whether they want to eat fish and vegetables, whether they want to eat hamburgers and, and baked potatoes. I, I think that my food's real, and I think that's good for people. You also have a choice, and you can eat yeah. one kind of meal one night and another or, or kind have, of meal another Or have night. grilled salmon and a, and a um, pie for dessert. You know, everybody makes their own choices. So, Me- meanwhile, you yeah. have uh, started a new show on the Food Network called yeah. Be My Guest, which is part cooking, part interview. And we have a clip of you with wonderful actress Emily Blunt. Ugh, the best. If you could come back as anything, what would you come back as? Ina Garten. No, please. <laughs> Be careful what you wish okay. for. <laughs> How about we trade? Okay, good plan. Okay, good. good deal. <laughs> good deal. You can do the sequel of Jungle Cruise. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. I'd be really bad at it. It'd <laughs> be great. Being romanced sure by Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure he'd want to romance me. You, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Watch out, Jeffrey. Dwayne Johnson's coming for it. If it's him or Jeffrey? Jeffrey every day. Uh, good. good. I, was, I was just testing you. No, not so, even close. So you, you said you get bored, you want to try something new. Why this? Why do not only a cooking, but an interview show? I, I, I th- you know, what I, I thought it would be interesting, as you would well know, it would be interesting to talk to people. Um, I'm really interested in when people meet barriers and, um, and figure out their way around it. They just don't stop. And I think that's what successful people do. And each one of these guests has an incredible, I mean, Emily Blunt had a, a debilitating stutter as a child. And that actually led her to acting amazingly. If she hadn't had the stutter, she might not be an actor. So I started doing this show because I thought it'd be interesting to talk to people. What I found out is it's so satisfying, those connections. Though just sitting and talking to somebody like this and having the conversation that you wish you always had at a dinner party, but you probably don't. So I want to leave folks with one of your favorite recipes, Beatty's chocolate cake. Mm. And I always think coffee is really important for chocolate. It makes it taste really chocolatey, and that's exactly what this does. Start from the top and work your way down the sides. I put parchment paper, a little piece of parchment paper on the plate to keep the plate clean. What advice do you have for someone who's watched this show, watched you right there, and said, that looks sensational, Anna Garten's a master chef. I can't do that. I'm, not, I'm actually not a master chef. And what I learned by writing cookbooks is it actually worked to my benefit because I find cooking really hard. I find it really stressful. And I write recipes for, um, to, to, so you can make things that are really simple and absolutely delicious. If you follow the instructions in that recipe, you'll, it'll come out perfectly every time. And you say the most important thing is keep it simple and when you're entertaining particularly, keep it relaxed. Because at the end of the day, the thing that makes a great party is that the host is having fun. And if the host, the host or hostess is like crying and sweating and going crazy, nobody's going to have fun. 
So you know what? Order a pizza, make a fabulous Caesar salad, um, order an apple tart for dessert, and have a really good time. Ina, yes. thank you. I, we, this has been a wonderful time, and we didn't even have food. <laughs> well, come to my house, and you can have food. <laughs> I've been there, and I know it's great. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Chris. Ina Garten is now working on her memoir, where she will share how this self-taught cook rose to become an icon in the world of food and entertaining. Ina says she hopes it will inspire others to find their own unique story. Thanks for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.